0: Hi, this is Brian Stevens from Spy Point, and I'm excited to talk with Dr. Kroll today, who you may know from his successful career in outdoor TV, but also as a leader in forest management. Dr. Kroll has many accomplishments in his career, but none more evident than his passion for white-tailed deer. Here's Dr. Kroll. Welcome to the Spy Point podcast. I'm your host, Brian Stevens, and on this show, we get to talk about hunting, tactics technology and the inside scoop from industry pros follow along each month as we learn laugh and grow together with the passion we all have for the outdoors this is the spy point podcast dr kroll how you doing today i'm doing great how are you hey we're doing good surviving in uh, this current environment but uh you know what uh, nothing's going to keep us from still talking about some of the things that we love and are passionate about, and that's uh, tailed deer. And it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on the call today. And, you know, before we get started into some of the topics, um, you know, I'd love for you, if you don't mind, just, you know, share with some of our listeners, you know, a little bit about your background. I know you've got a Ph.D., from Texas A&M University, uh, but you've had a, an impressive career of many, many accomplishments, both on the academia side, but even on the, the, the television side that many people may have seen you and, and share some of your information. But uh, I'd love for you just to walk people through some of that, if you don't mind.
1: I don't mind at all. First of all, you're talking to the most blessed man in the world, but because up for almost 50 years, God has done exactly what I said I wanted to do. So, it's a, It's been a real pleasure to, to do things that we, we've done and all the discoveries we've made. You know, when we started uh, back in the early 70s, there was very little really known about whitetail deer. Yeah. So when I came to the university here, set up the uh, Institute for Whitetail Deer Management Research, and we, we did what was, I guess today would be called focus groups, and we pulled the uh, foresters, landowners, hunters in and asked them what they need to know about deer. And uh, the two top ones were, can we plant something for deer? And in those days, there were no such things as food plots. And the other thing was, why can't we kill them? <laughs> so we, <laughs> we launched into a long-term study, a 20-year plan. Then we went in the second 20-year plan. Now we're in the third 20-year plan. Uh, we uh, have the longest-running research projects in many area areas, uh, notably the uh, with um, food plots. And then, of course, for... Our, uh, 28 years, I spent a lot of time sitting in trees, uh, darting, uh, mature bucks, putting radios on them so we could figure out why those hunters couldn't kill them. And of course we found out that the reason was that the hunters weren't being where the deer were. Sure. So, and, and yeah. when they were there. So, but, but, you know, it's just been, it's just been a joy. I've, I've gotten to work with whitetail deer, uh, from New Zealand to the, almost the Arctic circle. So, uh, it's. Yeah, well, That's awesome. It's just a great life. i tell you, I uh, wish everybody the, uh, the blessing of being able to spend your life and career doing exactly what you love to do.
0: Yeah, there's no question. And you know, the, the really, the, the great thing I think today is there's so many things that we could talk about and pick your brain on. And, you know to have a unique opportunity to balance somewhat of that you know real world anecdotal type of experience that many of us as hunters have in the outdoors but then combine that with the science uh that you know you've been able to bring to the table and and have had you know your hand in for the last you know couple of decades when you combine those two things I think it just helps elevate all of our ability to better understand what's happening in the woods and you know, we, we always talk a lot about bucks and they get a lot of attention and, and understandably why. But one of the topics I'd love to just gain more insights with you today is the importance of does and especially during that fawning season. And it's something I know you take very seriously and as part of your management programs.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great topic you bring up. You know, I'm, I've been a fanatic about about trying to get people to appreciate does you know, first of all, the doe is responsible for about 70% of the antlers of their sons. And so that might make them a little bit important. And then <laughs> people, yep. people to, to, to malign them and, uh, you know, give them names like mallet heads and everything else, muleys. Uh, but they're really the most important deer out there in the woods. And, uh, and you know, I, every management program that that I put together uh, focuses first on, on the health and productivity of the does and then on the bucks.
0: Well, and let me ask, I mean, is it, why do you think a lot of times the does are overlooked? Is it just more of kind of how we grew up and just, you know, there wasn't that science behind, you know, some of the things that you're just mentioning right now. Uh, but why do you, why do you think that's been the case over the past 20 or 30 years?
1: Well, I think, uh, partly, uh, you know, one of my many hats is, is the outdoor industry. And, uh, you know, we have a tendency not to, to, fo- we have a tendency to focus just on bucks and we don't, yeah. we don't talk about those at North American whitetail TV. We, we do harvest does on there. And, uh, you know, but we, we found out over the years that we have to keep it to a minimum and people don't enjoy watching a doe hunt. And that's, that's the, uh, the real shame of it. Yeah. You know, they, uh, and then the other thing is, uh, there's a lot of, of misinformation, I don't want to use the word ignorance, but misinformation about the role of the dough in all of this. And uh, you know, I always use the analogy that that I call it the dear theory. And what what that comes from is back when Leeuwenhoek invented the microscope, the first thing he looked at uh, under the microscope was human semen. Which don't ask me why he was doing that, but uh, he he imagined because of the times that was you know in the 14th century. 15th century, um, uh, the way they looked upon women was pretty poorly. And they he imagined that he saw a little man in the sperm, and he called it a homunculus. Okay. So, so women were just thought of as an incubator, and the man had everything to do with it. Well, now I'm taking that ther- theory to uh, deerunculus. People think a doe is just you know something for a big old buck to inseminate, and then uh, everything that she has is going to look exactly like like him, and Of course, that's totally, totally not true at all. So there's a lot of disrespect there for, for those.
0: Well, and you know what? And so, you know, that's part of today. And, and, you know, what, know what you uh, are bringing to the table in North American whitetail is that educational piece of it. So people have a better understanding and respect for just that. So, you know, let me ask you this. I mean, what are some of the special considerations or needs that does have during fawning season to help ensure that, you know, they are contributing to the health of that herd as you're talking about right here?
1: Okay. I'm going to give you a long answer to that. All So right. to start back in the, in the summer before the late, late summer before is uh, you know, in, uh, in August uh, those does are, if they're, if they're doing, if they're doing a good job, or if they're living in good habitat, you know they've been nursing one to two fawns all summer long, and they, you know, they've lost lots of weight and they look like death munching on a cracker, and the bucks are all laying around in buck groups belching, picking their teeth, and bragging about what they did last rut, but you know she's the one that's having to make a living out there, and, and the condition that she that we put her into the fall is going to determine a when she conceives, b how much she conceives, and c whether or not those fawns. Uh, ultimately live to be one year of age, which is true recruitment. So we gotta we got we we focus very heavily on two season food plots as well as natural forage management. And the two seasons are the cool season and the warm season. Okay. And uh, in the south people tend to focus almost totally on cool season. In the north they focus almost totally on warm season. You gotta have both. And that, that was one of the reasons why we got involved with LSU years ago. Uh, uh, breeding oats not oaks but oats uh, as food plot varieties and uh, then there is a huge difference in the varieties of oats so we try to put a lot of digestible energy into our does the the three things that determine the health and well-being of whitetail deer in order of importance is number one digestible energy number two is phosphorus and number three is protein but everybody tends to fixate on protein. Yep. So any any foods that are high in digestible energy, such as cereal grains, uh, in the fall, uh, you're gonna you're gonna put some weight put some weight on those on those doses They're recovering, and uh, once they get that body fat stored, unlike the bucks, they can pretty well hang on to it in reasonable winter conditions until uh, late February. Uh, by by then. They could be having some problems cause they, they usually run out of stored fat by then, but that gives them a little bit. But mm-hmm, then sure. we, come out of, we come out of the spring. Well, the other thing we do is, uh, and, and here you it got so much variance in, uh, uh, customs laws, all that sort of stuff in places where feeding is legal. Uh, feeding can have a, have a tremendous impact on, uh, on your phone production and survival. Uh, and if you in lieu of that, like in uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, we do a lot of winter logging uh, that puts tops on the ground and that provides a lot of food. Sure. To the dog, and the does learn to come to the sound of chainsaws. So uh, we get, we usually uh, snow seed or frost seed, uh, our food plots, clovers and, and uh, cereal grains, you know, as soon as we can to get something green out there to get those dose during that that time when see the the fetus the fetuses grow in like an exponential, sort of like the coronavirus infections have been doing, J shaped curve. And as they the last two months of their development, they're putting a tremendous demand on that dough. She's she's okay. gonna need at least five thousand calories a day.
0: Okay. What, what are some of those cereal grains? Uh, you've mentioned that a few times from a seed standpoint <clears throat> that you, you could maybe help people understand, the uh, ensure that they're adding that as part of their food plot strategy.
1: Sure. And we've done thousands of tests and experiments on the various species and varieties of cereal grains. And every time they the preference and, and benefits come out in this order, oats first, wheat second, rye third. And rye grass is at the rock bottom. I would, I would not plant rye grass if my life depended on it. So <laughs> okay, it is a curse. If once you get it, you're not going to get rid of it. Yeah. But, but every time, and we've done, like I said, thousands of studies. If you give a deer a choice between oats, wheat, and rye, they're going to go to the oats every time. Yep, makes sense.
0: I want to remind everyone to visit spypoint.com forward slash 2020 to see all the products that are new for this year and will be available from SpyPoint at your local retailers later this spring. <laughs> Let me ask you this, you know, and from a southeast, so we're, we're down here in the southeast versus, you know, in some of the, the northern states where year-round we've got a lot of browse. You know, do you have that same type of strategy in – you know, in the Southern States when they, they have more abundance of maybe that browse, maybe the nutrition's not as good, but you take that same strategy in the the Southern States versus some of the other States that may not have
1: that? Uh, yeah. But uh, what the nice thing about the South is, is that's where we can, you know, we, if we plant a good cool season crop uh, around the first of October, we're going to get seven months of forage out of that through the winter. Uh you know there there are two kinds. Like get back to oats again. There are two kinds of oats: winter oats and spring oats. Now you would think that winter oats were developed for the north, but they weren't. They were developed in the south huh. for gra- for grazing because they will continue to grow during the winter uh, down south. Up north, of course, we have got snow and everything. They're not going to grow. They're just going to hide under the snow there. But uh, they you you should always have food plots, especially in the south. It, it's it's an easy deal to have cool season crops in the south and then secondly uh we come, we've done a lot of research on uh, on warm season crops that we can grow in the south and uh, the winter every time in the south is not soybeans it's cow peas okay now the problem with cow peas is the deer like them so well they come up and put their first leaves up and the deer will eat them yeah, and they're they're gone. Down. yeah, yeah so that's why we started back in the late 70s early 80s Uh, doing research on various configurations of electric fences. And based on how deer see, I'll talk about that in a second, we developed a three-strand offset fence that, believe it or not, uh, will keep deer out of plots until you want them in there. Now, there are only three strands. There's two strands on the inside, one that's at 12 inches and one that's at 24. Then we come out at 36 inches and put a electrified tape at 18 inches. Uh, any, any hunter would say right off the bat, oh, golly, deer can jump that. And of course they can, but our research on deer vision is that the deer have 2150 vision. They're nearsighted. And to be honest with you, they cannot see HD camo. There's no way they can see it. So we look good in HD camo, but the deer don't really see it. And they also have poor depth perception. So when they encounter a fence like that, they'll investigate it first and then they get, we're running about 9,000 volts in there, and it'll really dry your socks out. Yep. And it works, and we we yep. have gates, we practice rotation grazing. Now, most most recently, I've been working with the uh, Trident Corporation, They uh, they operate on a website called Deerbusters. They've got a polypropylene netting that costs about a dollar a foot, and you can put it up with tall T-posts, and that's been working great. In areas where we have hogs, we've had to put two electric wires around the bottom, but uh, we can, that way we can grow a crop, crop of peas. And sometimes we'll plant corn with it. And then in late July, early August, when those fawns are getting ready to wean. Yes, sir. We, uh, and they're putting the biggest demand on their mother for milk. Uh, we, we open those gates and turn the deer in there and let them eat half. And then we close the gates and open up another one. So okay. it's a really, uh, cool thing to do. And it's not expensive on, on the surface. It sounds Pretty complicated, but it's quite easy. And just remind, say
0: that, that netting again, because I think, you know, some people are going to, you know, maybe think, you know, an electric fence, as you said, could be, you know, difficult and or expensive. Uh, Right. But the other option, you know, the the netting, can you just repeat that? Because I think, you know, um, over my experience of the years is when you can take the time and put some type of barrier it does make a significant difference, but it, but it is a lot of work and, you know, but yeah. and sometimes it's cost prohibitive, but what, what was that again?
1: Okay. It's a polypropylene netting. Uh, it's sold under the name deer busters. Okay. They can go out at deerbusters.com. Now I'm not a salesman for deer busters, no, I understand. but uh, they, but I did talk them into giving people a 10% discount if they use the promo code, Dr. Deer. Okay. So. <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's. Absolutely, that's great. Yeah. So, anyway, that netting, like I said, is a dollar a foot, and it'll last. It's it's you'd be uh, stabilized. So if you take care of it, sure, it'll last in years. You know. And what is that? I mean, a, you can put uh, you know a quarter acre. You you know it's going to be oh probably a hundred feet on the side. Uh, so you're you're talking about four hundred dollar investment, and if you roll it up every year put it back out there. Uh, that sure beats uh, a lot of the uh, gimmicks that people pay a lot of money for.
0: Well, yeah, there's no question. And, and you know, and I have had, you know, I'm sure many people had learned, learned from a lot of mistakes, but those times when I've been able to establish a good food plot and keep the deer out to allow that, you know, seed take and, and really get to a point where they're just not mowing it down you know, too aggressively, and then you let them in, it just makes all the difference in the world. And it takes a little bit of work and effort, but that's a great option. So thank you for sharing that because I'm sure a lot of people want to do that. They just don't know how and, or maybe feel like it's just too expensive. So that's, that's a great option.
1: You know, on a non-nutrition topic, uh, one of the things we found about, you know, predation is, is growing tremendously. We've got a, we've got a booming population of a whole suite of predators. Um, Bears, upcats, coyotes. Yeah, no question. Lions in a lot of areas, believe it or not, where, where I work. And, of course, the wolf is a huge problem developing all over the country. So one of the ways, there's two ways you can you can combat the impact of predators other than predator management or control. And that is, uh, first of all, if you're doing a good job of managing your does and get them into the fall in really good shape, the the actual conception time is only going to be about 10 days and 198 days after a doe and a buck get together they produce fawns and if you if you got a short tight concise breeding program or timing uh, you also have a short concise fawning 198 days later so you tend to overwhelm the predators by fawning on time and fawning most of your fawns hitting the ground over over a short period of time and much, unfortunately in much of the United States we now experience what we call a trickle rut the deer really haven't been managed very well. Yeah. And we've got, we've got fawning periods that last sometimes 45, 60 days and that's a sustained food supply for coyotes. Sure. So that that's number one. Number two is providing good cover for those fawns. so Those can, can hide those fawns and that's uh you've got to have a uh, thick understory or, or patches. We plant a lot of switchgrass uh, to give, Uh, Cover for the fawns and those does when they a lot of times we plant right on the edges of our food plots and those does will come up you can watch them they'll come up they'll drop their fawns in the switchgrass and then they'll walk out there and and start eating peas or whatever you got in your food plot and that that helps a lot now there are a lot of been a lot of gimmicks the last few years of people spads like hinge cutting trees and that's one of the silliest things i ever heard of in my life uh, Leopold came up with that, other Leopold, the father of wildlife management came up with what he called, uh, uh half cutting back in the thirties. that was for quail cover. But when you, uh, when you hinge cut an area, yeah, you might make a little cover, uh, but it's not sustainable. The deer eat the tops out of what, and sure. hinge cutting and they're gone. So why not, why not develop your understory cover and, and that's sustainable and a lot more effective.
0: No, absolutely makes sense. I mean, what are some of the other things? So cover being one, anything else that you could share with um, listeners around recruitment of fawns and just helping ensure that they can make it through, you know, the predator aspect is one uh, covers another. Are there any other things that anybody can do on their property to help ensure higher recruitment?
1: Well, I'll tell you another one. This is uh, this is going to sound odd, but uh, we are We've been doing a tremendous amount of research over the last well since 2011, when we experienced the millennial drought on artificial water, and okay. we're putting we're putting uh, small uh, uh, tubs, uh, water tubs out in the woods, okay. and uh, spreading our deer out. And you'd be astonished at how important that that extra water is to those does. And it's real easy to do uh, if you want to get. You know, real fancy about it. You go to one of these tractor stores and get a, say, a three hundred and fifty gallon tank, and uh, buy a float valve and a and a water trough, forty five gallon water trough, and uh, and a hose. And you can keep that tank filled up and run the hose down to to a, a suitable spot. And the float valve keeps it full, and it does two things. It <coughs> excuse me, it increases, uh, it, it increases survival. But the second one is that, because mud is intimately associated with hemorrhagic disease, we don't have any mud with artificial water, and you don't have deer, you know, uh, gathering up in large groups because you can just you can spread them out over the property. No, that's and that, go ahead. That's sorry, a big effect. yeah.
0: Well, it also seems too, from a predator standpoint, you're minimizing, you know, that ability for a predator to hone in on, you know, certain water. Spots and locations yep. where they're just going to sit and wait and ambush because they know you know there's only a handful, so you spread it out. Then I think you you know you disperse um, that water source and and minimize that opportunity for pred- predators to do their thing.
1: Yeah, and and you know we uh, we do something that's kind of kind of interesting. We uh, we look at we look at rabbits like the Canarian coal mine. Okay. Is- we keep a running count every time we're on on a property of how many rabbits we see, and when rabbit rabbit sightings start going down, you've got a predator issue, and it's time to start getting involved in predator control.
0: That's a great that's a great tip. I honestly have never thought about that, but I can go back and look at properties where I've I've known there's been a lot of rabbits and others where there, there's not. So that's a great tip for somebody. So no, that's good. So, you know, when we think about, you know, this upcoming year and you think about, you know, as folks are trying to, you know, manage, you know, their property and, and get prepared, we're getting into the spring. What are some of the things that people can do like right now and then, you know, maybe in the, the time frame and then leading into the fall as far as putting a, a plan or strategy in place that, you know, has seasonal, you know, differences in just having an overall strategy?
1: Well the first thing they can do is that if, if they're in an area where they've got woodlands, which most deer places are, uh, they need to be right now analyzing their woodlands and see if they've just got an overgrown dense thickets of of lots of trees or what's the situation. What is there I always talk about the deer zone. Okay. The deer the ground level to four and a half feet. If you if you have ease in walking through your woods, you don't have deer woods. And so, okay. yep. so you need to get, take a walk around and figure out what you need to do. Or maybe you've got some stands of trees that have got a handful of oaks and you've got things like elms and sweet gum and all that sort of stuff that really do near no good. And so make a plan for it to either thin those stands or you can come back uh, and there's some really neat uh, herbicides that you could use. Like there's one called Remedy, which is active ingredients called triclopyr. Okay. Uh, that we just mix it 20% remedy and 80% diesel. And uh, walk around with a little pump sprayer and spray the bottom 15 inches of the trees we don't want. And when you walk away from that tree, it's going to die. Okay. And that will open that forest up a lot. So that's, that's one thing you can do right off the bat. The other is, uh, uh, again, looking, we found out in that, answering that question, why can't I kill deer? We found out that deer, in most areas in the Eastern United States would, would like to live, spend most of their, their spring and summer in about 80 acres. We never could get a home range to be smaller than 80 acres. So we just minimum management unit size is 80 acres. Okay. Now I know everybody listening to this has at least 80 acres and all land is square. (laughs) So, (laughs) But, but, what we do is we put a we put an eighty acre grid over the property, and if it's bigger than eighty acres, then we've got more than one grid. But we try to have a one stop shop and everything a deer needs in those eighty acre grids, and that means that means water, that means forage, uh, cover yeah. the whole nine out there so we do what we call landscaping for whitetails so we lay out a deer landscape in each one of those so that's part of what you can do right now is make, is make that plan okay is you know when i first started i had to work hard to get satellite imagery of any piece of property and now it's so easy like google earth and all the others that you can get really up-to-date imagery and historic imagery so you can look at it, look at a property and and draw lines around what the different habitats are on it and then go out there and go to that, that go to those places and find out what they actually are. So you can come up with a plan right, right then and there. The other thing is there should be, you should plant at least 2%. If you're East of interstate 35, uh, you should plant 2% of your land to food plots. And I would split that up in 60% warm season and 40% cool season. And so, finding those locations right now would be a good time if you're going to plant this fall, uh, clearing and preparing those those new food plots. So there's a lot to do this time of the year.
0: No, absolutely. Let me let me ask you this. I think there's different theories on this, and I'm sure it's going to vary based on you know your property size. But uh, of that two percent that you're recommending how much of that two percent is it you know one large food plot is it you know two or three you know so you obviously have to think about it from a couple of things one from a nutritional aspect but also from a hunting standpoint what is your philosophy on how to break up that two percent in food plot strategy
1: that's a good question let's say let's go back to that 80 acre unit two percent we're going to round numbers off here it's going to be about two acres okay And and i would i would split that up into four quarter acre plots if it can possibly do it. Uh, we, we plant some really small plots, but I don't like planting small plots because you don't get much bang for your buck on those, excuse me, yep. fun, but a quarter acre plot uh, for either four food plots or two food, food plots of that two acres in, in 80 acres of what I would do. Uh, I would okay. plan on, on managing. Okay. No, that's, that's helpful. That's helpful. Um, now, now, yes, sir. Go ahead. Now, when I say sixty forty, uh, there are some. I, I don't. First of all, I, I would highly recommend that people not buy seed mixtures. I don't know. I hope you don't have any sponsors or anything. But no, but,
0: wide uh, open. So tell us what's tell us what you you recommend.
1: Never, never buy a seed mix for lots of reasons, and here's some, here's the logical ones. First of all, every plant variety seed has a different. Uh, need for planting they have like clover seeds need to be planted like an eighth of an inch uh deep uh oat seeds or wheat seeds need to be planted an inch and a half deep now you start mixing all that stuff together how are you going to plant those properly it's a
0: great yeah
1: it's a great point secondly most of the mixes if you look on the back and look at, at what seeds are in there it'll enlighten you let me enlighten some people First of all, the first ingredient on there is the is the one that is most abundant in the bag. And it's always the cheapest and poorest seed, like ryegrass or say red clover or something like that. So so you, you need to see then if you'll take each one of those ingredients and how much is in that bag, say a bag says well, this will plant a quarter acre. Well look at look at how much seed is actually in there. Then go out on the internet and look up the seeding rate for those varieties and it 99.99% of the time you're going to have way under seeded each one of those varieties out there. Yep. And then the next thing about, about, about mixes is that, uh, people don't know that there are, there are legally recognized varieties of plants. And then there are names that somebody made up. So (laughs) if they've got they got super zots clover in there. There is no such variety as super zots clover. Uh, like a red clover, like Kenlin red is an official varietal name. And so they'll, they'll go out and they'll, they'll buy, do what we call commodity buying. They'll just buy mixes of things. of uh, Clovers or just buying what, what, if you see the words, the letters VNS on that label, that means variety, not stated. That means that, that, that every year is going to be something different and you're not getting what you're, what you're really going after. The other thing is that we've gone through some of the big box stores and looked at the, some of these bags and they have three and four, uh, legal tags on them that show the germination. And, okay. uh, that, that if they have three or four tags, that means they're at least four years old.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: And Germination goes way down. So why not just go out there? And if you say, I'm going to plant, let's just take a simple example. I'm going to plant red clover. not I say white clover, plant white clover, chicory, and I'm going to plant some oats. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, the oats you need to plant about 35 pounds per acre. If you're going to mix it with something, the white clover is two to four pounds. And uh, I don't know if I said chicory, if we add chicory to it, another two to four pounds. So that's not that's not much investment if you buy separate and plant them right. Yep. So, you know that those are the the reasons why I don't like mixes. And other than that, you're also getting ripped off.
0: <laughs> well, listen, we want to prevent that. You know, it, this is what's helpful is just getting some real world feedback. Everybody's trying to do their best. You know, they're trying to you know manage their property and do the right thing and, you know, limited resources. And so, so appreciate your honest feedback because that's really what we need. And, you know, the industry. Unfortunately, sometimes there's some misconceptions and things get marketed in a way uh, that don't necessarily set people up for, you know, the greatest success. So um, let me ask you this last question. What's the biggest, besides, you know, you shared a great one on the seed, other misconception that people maybe need to be aware of in managing property and just trying to elevate, you know, their deer herd and do the best that they can?
1: Well, the biggest misconception is that going back to the topic we just finished. Uh, the biggest mis- misconception is that they're 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 magic bullets, and they're not. Uh-huh. Uh, when you manage deer, it's it's people. A lot of people treat it like a Chinese menu. You know, they'll take one from column a <laughs> one from column B. Yep, or, I like that one, I'll do that. I don't like that. It's a package deal. Yeah, you got to develop your property, and it doesn't cost a lot of money to do this. And it's great, it, especially if sweat equity is involved. There's a lot of People of modest means that are doing some great jobs of deer management. But you know, you you've got to you gotta develop your property. Like I said, as one stop shopping. You gotta be think develop a sound plan for your natural forage. You gotta come up with a food plot program that actually works. You know, and then you know, there's things some of the things talk talk about magic bullets. We're the guys that, that developed the first deer mineral ever developed. And to this day I can't prove that minerals help, but uh, I still put out minerals because I grew up the cattle business and yep. I figured, but, but how, how you supply minerals, for example, a little, just a little thing. Uh, I see these people come out of these hunting shows with these blocks on their shoulder. That's ridiculous. Do you have, have a, <laughs> first of all, there's probably mostly salt. Yep. And that's a great misconception is it is, you know, that you need a lot of salt. You should never have more than 20% salt in a mineral and use a granular mineral. And if you're worried about disease, use a, use a trough with a pan in it so you can clean that pan with bleach water periodically and uh, just you know little things there everybody's looking for an edge a magic bullet and there are no magic bullets yeah. in that have a plan stick to it keep records you know yes average person you know you know what'd you plant here last year well i don't know i planted this and, well how did it do what how much fertilizer did you put in there Probably the biggest pro- the, one of the biggest problems I have is getting people to, to have a soil test done mm-hmm. in their food. Yep. I had a guy that put, for 12 years, put out 400 pounds of triple 13 fertilizer on his food plots. And I finally did my own soil test for him. Turns out he had a near toxic level of phosphorus and he only needed about 50 pounds of nitrogen, is all he needed. Wow. So doing it right.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. It takes a little extra work, but in the long run, it, it pays off.
1: Oh yeah, it pays off. It really does.
0: Well, listen, I can't thank you enough. This has been incredible insights and, and feedback and I know helped a lot of people. If peop if individuals want to learn a little bit more about some of the things that you're doing and or reach out to you, you know, to get additional, you know, insights or, you know, use some of your expertise, how could they do
1: that? Well, they can go to the web I have a website and a Facebook page. The website's drdeer.com. Okay. And oddly enough, the Facebook page is Dr. Deer.
0: Okay. Fitting.
1: And, uh, and my, my, our email address is Dr. drdeer at com. And people, uh, email me all the time with questions and I answer them and they, they go, I can't believe you answered me. And I go, well, why did you email me?
0: <laughs> well, listen, I, I think unfortunately, uh, you're the exception to the rule out there. And so, um, you know what, Thank you for sharing that and thank you for doing what you do um, because I think it's it's that one aspect that you know people don't maybe understand and or appreciate. So it's been a true pleasure today and um, I look forward to talking with you again maybe on some other topics here in the near future. So uh, you stay well and uh, you have a great rest of the day.
1: Yeah, and keep up the good work. I admire what you're doing.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care, Dr. Kroll. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining us on the Spy Point Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest product information and the hunting content you're after. For Dr. Kroll and myself, thanks for joining us. Until next time.